Lachlan, thank you for coming on my show for the fourth time. Is it really the fourth time? Yeah. But like probably the first video you publish. Yeah. Of, of uh, this interview. So, yeah. Uh, I mean, I do have one on there. Yes. And I, some of the problems that I tried to solve um, technically, hmm. I laugh at now. Like I thought that I could block the reverberation of each of our lapel mics by putting cardboard. I remember you that. Recall? Yeah, yeah, I do. A little cardboard square. Yeah. yeah. And I think at the start of the podcast, I said, oh, well, you know, here's hoping that the, you know, there's no technical issues. And then within a few seconds, it was just the audio became a garbled mess. Yeah. I mean, it was still like, I could, you could still kind of make out um, the sound just enough for it to be like uploadable. But if you don't mind, I'm probably going to delete the old. Oh, no, feel, feel free. Um, I, maybe it's good to just keep updating this podcast, <laughs> you know, with the, the content that I was talking about last time. I don't even remember what I was talking about. I remember we spoke about music and we spoke about like art in general and a few other things. Mm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see how much my opinions changed <laughs> for over about a year and a half, I think it was. Yeah, so, I mean, well, I do have a capability still. We've got a different setup, but I do have a capability to yeah. throw on Scott Street. <laughs> 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 if we want to have another listen um it would it would be a good chance to show off the tech as well yeah 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 certainly um, i mean i'm not opposed to it but just do keep in mind that piece is now exactly seven years old we'll make more stuff dude uh i would but you know interest change priority shift and uh i need to get back into making digital music actually considering i um market now and i am a quote-unquote casual academic at right. the university of sydney i I need to make more digital digital music because I can give cursory sort of comments on students who submit stuff for mm. to be marked. And it's not like I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think you should practice what you preach. Mm. So you know, I do need to get back into it. Just, you know, it's a skill set I haven't used for a number of years, actually. Well, the fact that you dedicated so much time to it prior, I just feel like, like I've given up on ever becoming a professional football scout, but I still like watching good players play. Yeah. So I'll just like work on a chip away at a video, a highlight package of a football player um, and get joy out of that. And that's mm. probably something that you'll come back to, right? I mean, yeah. you're not going to like, you'd have to have a pretty bad experience with your at least prior passion to just never come back to it. Right? Oh, yeah. I mean, look, it's not like I have a tragic backstory where digital music shot my father and then took my mother away from me or anything. Like so I was just playing footsies. Can you? What was that you said? And you didn't uh, you didn't acknowledge the footsie, so I was well, like, man, this guy's coming to his point. Well, I mean, considering that we're in the middle of a podcast, I didn't think it would tell the viewers about something happening on we the need a, table. We need a foot cam. <laughs> a foot cam. Oh, God, yeah, because, okay, just for those who are watching this or listening to it, if I start giggling and laughing at that, it's usually because Ben is stroking my toes with his. Mm. We are certainly not homosexual last time I checked, but, you know... Uh, well... I've told you my opinion on this is just like you, you're gay through circumstance. You're gay through Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. I think it's definitely what you're caught doing, I guess. Yeah, and there's like, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with that. And there's nothing fundamentally wrong with being straight. It's just like, what, I mean, there's no stopping. I'm not saying I, I mean, I have never been sexually aroused by a male. Yeah. But there's a possibility that at some point I will. And that's, some, mm. So to, I just feel like coming out as gay is kind of backing yourself into a corner because yeah. 
who's to say that you might not meet a you know you might be a gay man but you might meet a lovely woman well that's the thing it's like it's for all the talk of how fluid uh, sort of sexual preferences and gender is these days there's a lot of pigeonholing like if you come out as gay that is just your identity and anything mm. less than being gay is sort of a betrayal of right. whatever identity it doesn't even have to be gay it can be trans it can be any sort of identity which you feel the need to kind of back away from is not viewed very highly in those communities, or at least mm. in my experience at least. Um, but to finish off what I was saying, um, no, I didn't have a bad experience with digital music or anything like that. I just, one of those things where you just get caught up in other projects. And I've just been, happened to be writing a lot of um, orchestral music mm. for the past few years, okay. musical theatre. And there's just not a lot of time for me to sit down and just tinker like I used to. Yeah, so I think... The um, title of this video will be something like Interview with Creative Lachlan Foster. Because you've got these, you've got these diverse creative interests mm. and the, is it the focal point of your mind at the moment is your writing? Yeah, I, I, only because I have, well, I'm not sure how much I could say on podcasts, but I do have an upcoming... We've got some exclusives potentially coming. Uh, maybe, and I do have an upcoming um, book which will be released tentatively in November, says the team. So, um, so a lot of my focus now is on editing that and going back and forth with uh, the publisher. And I'm uh, working on the second book of the series as well. Mm. So, and they, they're all for that? And they're providing some kind of financial support for the second book? Uh, yeah. It's, um, I mean, uh, sort of the rent matter royalties I get from the first book is nice. Um, they are a relatively small publishing company. Um, I'm not sure how much I can say. I mean, I'll, I'll say I'm sure line publishing are very nice. Yeah. Um, they're a small publishing company down in Victoria, and uh, it's just a good way to get your foot in the door. They're just getting mm. books on shelves. Even yeah. if it's a small capacity, I can now approach agents and say, I've actually had a book on a shelf. It sold this many copies. I had this kind of response. This is sort of proof to them that if they run with me and start advertising me to larger publishers, that they're not going to go off on the wrong foot. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that hybrid publishing model seems interesting. I um, I'm I'm an amateur filmmaker. Hmm. Um, I'm working on the production of the trip to the hardware store. Yes, short, like a short, like hopefully twenty minute horror short film. Hmm. And I think um, part of me just thinks like okay, so you want to go get government funding. You want producers to throw thousands of dollars at you. And, like, I'm, I'm from the point of view where I want things to get made. Right. But I just think, like, who the fuck do you think you are thinking that your piece is so brilliant that you deserve thousands and thousands of dollars? I think you need to craft a story that you can produce on your own mm. and then just build and build and build. Hopefully your resources increase. And, yeah. yeah if some other person wants to tag along and make your piece even greater hmm. through funding or producers coming along, giving you money, that's great. Hmm. But you should just fundamentally want to get your creative work out there yeah. and to be um, relying on other people's funding, I think is just like, you're not going to get stuff made. Right. And so your the model of your publishing is that you've actually contributed money to them. Yes. You actually receive more royalties than if they just paid you 
Yeah, I think, right. yeah, yeah, so it's important to keep in mind, um, it's, not a, it's not a vanity publishing company. And for those who don't know, uh, you've got traditional publishing, which is where you approach a, like a large, usually there's five big publishers in every country. And you approach one of them, usually through an agent, and they'll say, okay, in our catalogue, we need this kind of book because we read the market as this kind of book doing well. Um, and then your book, if you're lucky, gets picked up. And the publishing company takes full rights of the book and their entire team takes care of everything. You're back and forth with an editor, but usually the marketing and all that is done through them and you don't pay a cent. They're happy to put up the money to then make a lot of profit off the book that they're trying to sell, right? The hybrid and then the vanity publishing company is where you pay something close to about 15 grand to a company which will just publish a book for you, print it out, and then send you about a thousand copies for you to do whatever you want with. And that's going on, yeah. Yeah, it's 15K. It's expensive because it's, you know, amount of paper, resources. You have to pay for, you know, uh, the title uh, page. You have to pay for the cover. You have to pay for the blurb, like the, the ISBN and everything like that. And, I mean, that's even if vanity publishers uh, cover the ISBN payment. Um, <clears throat> but a new model that's kind of sprung up, and it sprung up in the early 2000s, is hybrid publishing, where basically it's a combination of uh, traditional publishing where there's actual distribution like they like they will get you into bookstores they will get your books on shelves they will organize like book deals and book signings and that kind of thing and it's because the amount of money you do have to put up payment to pay for their team in order to produce the book but they also have an incentive to make more money off the book by making it sell them. yeah and i think it's a and um, from uh, i spoke to uh, bradley shaw who was in charge of who's in charge of shoreline publishing mm. and it's a it's a good model from the way he's, he's explained it and yeah um, and i tell you what in this sort of this day and age of where um sort of a new australian author as in like unpublished author hasn't been signed to a big publisher in about over 10 years mm. so in a world like that where you have to be a pre-established celebrity a youtuber um, a well-established author an international bestseller in order for any big publishing company to look at you um publishing seems to be the more logical step to take because it's proof that your books can get into uh stores they can you know actually be bought off the shelf um you have physical book sales and you have online book sales as well um and you actually have experience in a relatively uh it's and basically have experience in the traditional publishing world and it's actually a better pathway to getting an agent to then get you into a large publisher that way um, because self-publishing, I know people who go into self-publishing will power to them, but uh, it's definitely not a game I want to play. So I'm more than happy to try it out. I'll tell you what, new age, new hybrid model. Who knows? I'm curious to see if it'll actually um, pay off. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I'm, I'm willing to try something new because we are in a changing market scope. Right. And I think if you don't adapt or you don't try something new, then you're going to get left behind. So you should. Yeah. Yeah, because... Mm there's two extremes where you just go out and do it yourself but mm. um like I, I bet audiences would be really thrown by an unprofessional looking work yes and but then on the other on the flip side yeah i mean there's not enough money floating around for um unestablished authors so yeah exactly you're gonna have to have some kind of in between where you still get the support for having the product where you want it mm. but not like a barrier of entry that's like insurmountable well well that's that's exactly it um i mean god i mean there's a reason why a lot of people come right well they go into writing and then give up 
you know, because before about how your philosophy is that you know you should you basically should have a product that um, essentially sells itself. It should be of a quality that mm. you know is going to make people want to you know pay, you know fork money hand over fist in yeah. order to get a hold of it. Um, I think it's why a lot of people becoming writers is a popular thing because a book is a very very cheap resource in the grand scheme of things. It's not like a film where you have to take care of the, the equipment, the 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 money it cost to hire out of space, the yeah. uh, on scene shooting, hiring actors, paying writers, being a director, all the other stuff. It's a multi faceted medium. Book is just paper and words. It's as simple as you can get. Yeah. And so there isn't so all of the quality of the book is dependent on the writing. Yeah. And I mean, me, myself included, uh, feel like we can write. <laughs> we feel like we can tell stories that people want to read. And it's, you know, just. Mm, yeah, it is interesting the choice of the medium, right? Mm. Like, why am I wanting to put stuff on film? Why are you wanting to have these? Because, like, a book, a good book is a, a, an insight into the author's consciousness that you can't really get anywhere else. Um, it depends on the book, but yeah, I agree. Yeah, like, um, like for instance, these are, it's actually Tarantino's <clears throat> recent work with um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a great example where he mm -hmm. had he made the film. Yeah. And he had an accompanying novel and there were little like backstory aspects to the characters featured in the film mm -hmm. that were written into the novel. And that gave you an extra um, kind of insight into the workings of the character. Yeah. Um, do you, you just really like fleshing out things to the, I mean, to the nth degree insofar as, the novel is the most broad medium. I would say so. And also, I think um, Chuck Polonick mentioned this, um, the guy who wrote Fire Club and among other books uh, that he's written, um, mentioned that uh, books can get away with more than any other medium mm. because you can put something horrific into someone's mind without saying any word that is associated with the image you just put into their head right like that's the power of a good book mm. um also keep in mind that like as you're pointing out tarantino was able to include you know backstories that weren't in the film mm. into the book it's because when you're in a film that backstory is like another five hundred thousand to a million dollars worth of shooting yes whereas it's two paragraphs in a book right like and that is the difference between the two of them yeah i don't necessarily think the strength of a book is in it's not the only strength. It is a strength. I don't think it's the core is fleshing out characters because I know firsthand of uh, people I know who've written books and also bad books I've read where the amount of detail is just horrific and you just want to, and you end up skipping three pages ahead just to get to the next plot point. Wow. So have you continued books using that method? Because if I have to skip any of it, I just think like, all right, so if there's a skippable part here, then there's going to be more skippable parts. And if, a portion of the book is skippable hmm. therefore it's not worth reading because you want it in its entirety so I, I suppose i mean but it's kind of like when you're watching a film which you know has flaws but you like one aspect of it kind yeah. of thing and it's i treat it the same way so like when i'm reading a book i'm like i'm really into it because for me plot is the main driver behind stories and that, that is a controversial opinion because a lot of people would say characters but i say plot is hmm. um and we can talk about that in a sec but like um if I'm reading through a book and I like the plot, but then they start describing things and I'm into it and I get the idea after a paragraph and I just see there's just more and there isn't a paragraph break. I just kind of flick, see keyword, flick, keyword, keyword. And then when there's a break and then the next character does something, it's like, okay, then I just start reading from there. But what are the chances, if someone's written something so badly, what are the chances that they're just going to pick it up elsewhere? 
Oh, it's very common. Like, it's just some writers just get very uh, caught up in their own words, I think. Right. I'm guilty of it <laughs> entirely. But, yeah, um, yeah it's uh, it's just a pet peeve. It's a pet peeve of mine, but, like, also, I've had people read my book and there is one moment, in, there's one, I think, three-page portion where people put the book down, intended to pick it up again, and they never pick it up again. <laughs> Because and that's based off of data, or is it like audience feedback? That's based on just a few beta readers I gave it to, and um, that's something I'm ironing out with the editor. Well, I plan to iron out the editor. Right, it's that a great insight. Yeah, I remember like you haven't seen it, but The Wire is one of the best TV shows ever. From what I've been told, I haven't actually seen it. I've been I've been told to watch it, and yeah. I and I get looks disappointed, but yeah, I need to watch it. Well, you know, it's like cops in Baltimore. It's like, what does that have to do with your life? Hmm. But it's so tightly written that um, the showrunners, because the showrunners had in mind, like, if we have a scene or piece of dialogue that isn't engaging, then the audience might get up and go take a leak, go grab mm. a beer, get distracted, and they'll miss a portion of the show. Like, it's you've got to make something that's so compelling that you just don't want to do anything else, yeah. really. Yeah, it's true. Um, um, comes back to the age-old philosophy of that I learned in a, a theatre growing up as a kid. I had a really, really good teacher who was a hard really good teacher and basically told me that uh, the audience, when they sit down, they pay 200 bucks for a ticket, they're watching a show, you've got 20 to 30 seconds to stop them from thinking about the, did I pay for the ticket outside? Did I <clears throat> turn the oven off when I left. Oh, I'm going to do that thing when I get home. You've got 20 to 30 seconds to get them to forget about their life. Yeah. And then you build them for the next two hours. And that's basically your job as an entertainer. So this is the whole thing about Tarantino saying, like, <coughs> you know, when you're in good hands and you think the mm. audiences make that evaluation within 20 to 30 seconds, like in, you... in a live setting. Yes. Right. It's usually for books. It's about 10 to 20 pages. Right. Um, I mean, that's being generous. Some people say first page, first paragraph. You've got to get someone yeah. and get them to really, really like your book. Uh, yeah, but especially especially for live theatre, it's very true. If you aren't hooked in 20 to 30 seconds, it's over because right. they're going to start thinking about everything else in their life. Everything except for what's happening in front of them on stage. It's tough to re-engage. It is very... Because, I mean, think about it. People start reprioritizing in their head and then they start getting annoyed that they have to sit through a show. Yeah. <laughs> so you've lost them. It's very hard to get that back. Right. Mm. Mm. Do, do you still have ambitions to produce? Would you want to be like the showrunner in, in the musicals industry? Or would you only want to do, like, would you only want to do the book or oh, the no. music? Or would you want to do the whole thing? It just depends on directing. directing. I mean, I think I'm a director, but I am. Um, I don't know. I've never really given it a shot. Mm. Um, I've, I've directed one or two things back when I was in high school, but that don't count. <laughs> that don't count at all. Um, but yeah, no. At the moment, I'm more than happy to be the creative behind the scene, and I mm. get to watch what people think about the plots I put together and that kind of thing. Right. That's what I like to do. Now, whether it be musical theater or books. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, I'm, like, it's easy to be in front of camera. You know. It's easy to be the talent, yeah. I feel, but it's like it's just it's easy to be an employee. You just show up. That that's your obligation as an employee. It's your obligation as an actor. Hmm. Just show up, right? Yeah. But it's the employers. It's the directors. It's 
all the behind the scenes people that make that opportunity happen for the talent. But do keep that on. is the yeah. really hard work. Yeah. Um, but get, and I and not to because I will play devil's advocate here because yeah. as a fellow performer, not to undercut actors because fuck, <laughs> fuck them. No. But not to undercut. You made a, but you made a very good analogy. Yeah. Of um, uh, their employees. But keep in mind, a good employee will make a huge profit over a quarter. You know, I mean, like really good employees do that for you. Does that make sense? Like they do actually contribute a major part to how something turns out. Yes. I can tell you right now, as someone who's had to deal with a lot of singers, seeing yeah. my stuff, I, I, you can have a phenomenal singer, singer. You can have a phenomenal singer who can't act, who just kills the entire song. Yeah. Right. And you know, in your heart of hearts, and people react, and your audience reacts badly to the song. It's mm. like, um, it's nothing to do with your song. Mm. You did everything right. right. Sometimes the actual performance can make or break it. Or if you write something ordinary, you're or singer or employee can take it and actually make it something special yeah yeah so it goes both ways i get right. but yeah. this is me playing devil's advocate like because i'm a creative i agree with you but also don't shortchange your actors because they do bring a lot to the table as well yeah no i'm sure <laughs> um, yeah i suppose you would just want them to be an extension of you yeah you right. do i mean it's like classic tale of uh who's who played Django and Django Unchained? Um, Jamie Foxx. Yeah, it was Jamie Foxx telling the story of Tarantino. Yeah. How um, Jamie Foxx came onto set and started acting like... That'd be... The way he explained that story was awesome. Oh, That'd be... be and then Tarantino just pulls him aside and goes, what the fuck was that? Yeah. <laughs> like, it just... And really personal insults. It was like, yeah, you've got your Gucci bag and something like that. You're a fucking slave. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's a fucking slave yeah okay and it's like that's but then again Tarantino can talk to people like that and people still want to work with them yeah you know it's professional it's not personal yeah at all yeah um who what creator inspires you the most oh god you got Sondheim the boy I mean <laughs> the ex-boy He's no longer with us. Well, thank you for reminding me. Um, yeah, no, Stephen Sondheim is a very big... Uh, I don't... Is inspiration too big of a word, maybe? Um, he's definitely someone I look up to. It's like how um, you can look up to a great artist in terms of, like, visual artists. You can look up to Michelangelo or Monet or anyone like that. And you sort of look at what they did and you can feel the craft that went into what they did. Mm. It's the same thing. It's the same thing with Sondheim. Like, whether or not you think his stuff is beautiful or rigid or unfeeling some people think Sondheim is the least emotive theater composer they've ever heard which I disagree with but you know you're entitled to your opinion um regardless of how you feel about the work itself you look at the way that work is built and you're just in awe it's like when you look up at the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel it's even if you don't really care for Michelangelo's um sort of painting it's Mm. just like oh yeah this took 10 years right yeah like you you just you're the effort that went into right it. and so that i but luckily for me i actually like sometimes work from an artistic point of view so right. i like him for both things anyone else oh yeah i mean chuck polnick as well yeah yeah i mean look because chuck polnick inspires me in the way that like i would never be able to write never be able to write anything that he could without fear of people judging me mm. for what i'd written i admire anyone who can actually put their neck out and brave the fire and 
you know, not, it's not that they don't care, but they uh, can appear unaffected by whatever comes their way. Yeah. You know. Well, us even bringing up like um, gay issues earlier, mm. I feel like that means that we do have some sense of courage because as soon as like this trigger words, right, where people hear like, oh, here's this guy talking about gay people. Mm. And um, in this day and age, like people just are recreationally enraged. Um, That's a good and word. So if you create a, a piece of art or if you're even on a podcast talking about like, mm. Um, your stance on gayness um, that's, that's going to folks are going to just unless you're I mean how do, how do you avoid people crit- criticising your your view um, but I would just I say mean, that like is the audience privy to the conversation we had earlier or no I'm you said I'm that you're referring to something that we didn't record no 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 we brought up we brought up um, like my view on gayness during the recording did we yeah okay when i was messing around with the footsies and stuff that is right that is very true sorry yeah, yeah. yes um jake gillianhall in an interview said um his dad told him that artists aim to um comfort the disturb and disturb the comforted uh, it's a very disturb com- the comfortable yeah it's a very common term i will tell you what i think about that after you tell me what you're doing that's uh, you can speak now. <laughs> okay, I thought you were going further with that. Yeah. Um, the problem is, is that I have heard that quote sort of misappropriated for political purposes. Right. I've heard it applied to um, the point of comedy is to comfort the afflicted by afflicting the comfortable, which is not true at all, um, because it comes from that this new wave of comedians who seem to think that you can't punch down, like punching down isn't okay, and it's like not even true. Like, not even close to being true. Right. Punching down can be incredibly funny in the right circumstances. Not saying it's okay to do, but it doesn't change the fact that it's actually funny. Yeah. Um, and it's people who say that comedy can only be used to, you know, for political purposes. Like, it should only be used to upset the status quo. It should only be used to upset those in power and that kind of thing. It's sort of taking right. a, a wonderful millennial-old craft of human storytelling and, and abusing it for political purposes and then sort of misaligning people who don't want to use it for political purposes. And I right. sort of take the same circumstance. Okay. I take the same stance with um, art as well. Um, I don't think art should necessarily afflict the comfortable. I think art, if anything, can reinforce the status quo if it needs to. Mm. All art is is a time capsule of culture. So mm. whatever art is being created at the current moment is reflective of cultural values that were around that artist. Right. And if you want to have a look at, if you want to study the history of a society's culture, you look at the art that they were making. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend everyone read uh, Sexual Personae by Camille Parlier. Um, One of the best books I ever read on art and a really shifted way that I thought about what art was. And she just talks about every culture, history of Western culture on the planet, but through the lens of the art that they were making. Mm-hmm. Um, she's one who controversially said that the appearance of, um, shall we say, more gender fluid sort of depictions of men and women, where you had more masculine women and more feminine men was a sign of the end times of the society. <laughs> Very controversial, but she, this is a woman who studied thousands of years of art and noted this pattern happening over and over and over again. Right. Um, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that, but it's certainly an interesting observation. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's all art is. Art is art isn't a weapon, and it shouldn't be a weapon. I don't think. 
Right. And that's just a lot of artists disagree with me, and but that's just the way I feel. Yeah, it's interesting because like <laughs> my um the pinnacle short film, <laughs> which is actually the if you look up pin, the pinnacle short film on YouTube, it's now number one, baby. Oh, is it? Hey. it used to be number two behind like a like an American student film. Okay. Um, it was nominated for um well, it was put in a short film festival. And of course, my mind races when those things, those kind of things happen. And I thought about my acceptance speech about, <laughs> and like, my main message would be a would be like a, like a social justice message. Yeah, sure. And yet, I'm never conscious of making a clear statement, mm. like written into the dialogue when I'm making the film. Yeah, sure. So it's like, yeah, it's just interesting how yes like art can be a trigger for social change but i just feel like you're never going to do that if it's just not a fundamentally enjoyable enjoyable experience Mm. consuming that art yeah and to add on to your point i don't think art is as powerful of a uh, catalyst for change as people think it is Mm. i think a lot of people especially young artists go i'm going to change the world with my art i'm going to get the world to think (laughs) good luck man i've been i've been on youtube for like three years or whatever yeah and i've had very little attention that i Mm. thought i deserved so good luck like you need to make (laughs) art because you just want to well, that's, that's exactly it. it. Um, uh, renowned Australian composer Carl Vine told me and the first year composer cohort in the first lesson I ever had with him, if you can think about anything else you'd rather do than writing music, don't write music. It's yeah. the same thing with art. If you can think of anything else you would rather do than make art, don't make art. Because there are so many more um, profitable right. and um, the things that contribute to society that you could be doing. Yeah. Um, than just making art. Right. You, you only do it because it's a disease and it's something wrong with your brain. You just have to do it like it's yeah. just in you. Um, and that brings me to a thought of yours that is bouncing around in my head. Hmm. Um, artists shouldn't expect to be paid for their work. Some, something along those lines. Like, yeah, I mean, it's sort of reflective of what Carvine was saying, but I don't think you should go into the art expected to make any money out of it. It should just be um, something you have to do. Mm. Like you should see something in the real world and go, I want to make something about this. Right. Just make a quick adjustment. That might improve. Oh, I can't be pulling that too much. Yeah. <laughs> we got quite a setup here. We can adjust all this. Because we're coming up to 15 minutes, aren't we? Right. Yeah, all right, if you want. Yeah, we'll yeah. take a short break and then we'll get back to talk afterwards. Where were we talking about? Um, art and art is as much as I think. I personally don't think art is as much as people. Right. Yeah. Cool. Okay, we'll pick up where we left off. Just a little short um, ad from Underrated Enterprises. Um, I've got a footstool to offer you, by the way. I'll give it to you for free. Oh, sure. I'll take it. Improve your shitting, shitting quality. And also... You might want to. Sorry. Last point. Yeah. Before break, um, I piss it down. Piss sitting down now, because I was told that it, like really, it um that's what you're supposed to do. Okay. Um, even as a male, hmm. um, because it alleviates pressure on your prostate, and um, 
it actually means that you crap more and therefore you're getting toxic waste out of your body more. So. Well, I don't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, buy a footstool because it'll mean that you get rid of crap quicker. And right. boys, don't be afraid to piss sitting down. I don't know, man. It's <laughs> kind of girly. All right. Elvis Presley died on the toilet having suffered a heart attack. He was most likely straining to crap. If Elvis had a footstool, he might have passed his bowel motion risk-free. Resting your feet on a footstool simulates squatting, which straightens out your colon, allowing poop to come out more easily. So, don't die like Elvis and order your footstool today. All right. So where were where were we, Lockwood? We were talking about how art isn't as yeah. I don't think art is as um. Shouldn't, I don't think it should make any money, but it's like you shouldn't go into art if you're expecting to make money. I mean, right. I, th I think it's a relatively common sentiment, but I don't think a lot of younger people. I mean, I'm young, but I speak like I'm a grandpa. Um, I don't think a lot of younger people realize just how little money there is in art for about 30 years until you actually make something and then there's a little bit of money and there's not even that much right so um but a lot of younger people that i know like 18 19 <clears throat> sort of go into the any sort of creative industry because they want to live a lifestyle they want to live in a studio apartment and roll around and do drugs and all this other stuff and that's fine and all but it's usually not the way they do because it's a natural result of how they work right you know you don't choose the lifestyle then become the profession you choose the profession and then the lifestyle is a consequence yeah it's not a fun lifestyle either i would like to have a stable income i would like to have mm. you know the ability to purchase stuff that i need on a regular basis but you just can't and you want paycheck to paycheck for a number of years in fact i have been yeah just because it's just that's just the nature of it yeah you know um, don't do it unless you want to do the hard yards is what I say yeah yeah I think um, you can only really get away with being an artist if you do make sacrifices in the rest of your life right yeah um, it, well, that's something that my one of my professors told me at the con was that you have to sacrifice your youth for something because when you're young you have energy, you have time you have a lot of resources on your hands and a lot and I don't blame them, want to run do as many stupid things as possible, and that's fine. Like, you go off, you know, travel around the world with no money, like, just work on, work on a vineyard, vineyard for, like, six months earning money around Europe, and then, like, fly back home at some point and have dreadlocks by the end of it, you know. Um, like, that's fine. Like, do all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, you've only got so much energy and youth I would argue once people hit about the age of 25 and it's only because I have a lot of younger friends because I started about a few years later at uh, the Conservatorium of Music. So I was a few years older than everyone else in my year. Um, I sort of hit this first. I hit the age of 25 and my energy just went. Like it just went. Like, <laughs> like and this was pre-COVID, so this isn't COVID talking. I hit it and it just, I lost all my energy. Um and I suddenly, when I caught a cold, it no longer lasted two days. It lasted a week and a half just because your 
body is just getting older. That's all it is. Mm. And you start to feel the effects when you're 25. And as you go on and you don't take care of yourself, um, you start, as they say in the video games, you get random debuffs. You get like a sore leg, right. which doesn't go away. For, for just You just now have a sore leg like a, yeah. and that kind of thing. So you really have bouncy teenage energy that you can do something with from the ages of like 19 to 25 and then it's over. And you better have had something put into place by that that you can direct your time to do. You know. Um, or at least it might be harder to get going. It is a lot harder. That's what I'm saying. Like yeah. it's so natural when you're young and all of a sudden when you hit 25 or 26 or it's around about that age, everything becomes work. Waking up is tiresome. Going to work yeah. is tiresome. You're drumming up motivation to get art done is tiresome. Like it just everything is tiresome. Some people call it depression. I just think it's just getting older. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's true. Like, I mean, like, there's a lot of. I'm not saying that, like, and this isn't me undermining, you know, depression, because I think it's actually a big problem for our generation, especially. But I think a lot of people expect it to be a lot younger and will have a lot more energy until they're in their 30s. Mm. That's not true. <laughs> you, you lose a lot of that in your 20s. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm a big believer in like sowing the seeds for the future. Mm. But I don't regret living um, somewhat, well, I wouldn't say hedonistic, but just mm. like wanting to party because I haven't partied for like a few years, mm. really. Um, you know, I've got you and like a, another friend. My social life is dead outside of that um apart from interacting with my family mm. and has been for a long time and so the times when i got drunk and had you know flipping sex like i don't regret that at all mm. um but then of course you know chickens come home to roost at some point you're like um i need some kind of direction because yeah that, that's those sort of those sort of opportunities will probably dry up and um, you can't just live like that no, forever necessarily because it's not self-sustaining, is it? And plus people don't live forever. <laughs> and mm. keep in mind, you're going to be tired and old longer than you're going to be young and energetic. So while you're young and energetic, you have to put something into place so that when you're older and more tired, you've just got a self-propelling yeah. machine that gets you to into retirement. Mm. it's basically what you have to do and it's like it's harder and harder to do that these days when you got like things like tiktok and other social media which sort of you get all these like billionaire rich kids who are like here do this one investing technique and watch all the jet planes fly into your backyard and it's like that's just not how that's just not how anything works right so you get all these young guys going in and trying to get trying to hustle at the age of 18 and 19 mm. which i mean granted they're using their energy for something but that's just not how money works mm. um you know, they're only in their jet planes because their parents do the exact opposite of what you you're doing right now. Yeah, yeah. I feel like, um, I mean, I might be hypocritical because I'll probably post some content. I'll, I'll be posting this interview on YouTube, and maybe mm. I'll make a short video of like how to set up this like self-produced mm. podcast, right? Yeah. But um, I feel like if you're pouring energy into TikTok content, then like if you're actually a successful entrepreneur, it's kind of a waste of time because like you can't make, unless you're just directing people to like some kind of content that you can sell or something. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think TikTok pays well, if at all, for its content. And so you got people pouring a lot of energy into their content on TikTok, and mm. I don't know if they get any money uh, for I'm, it, do they? I'm not too sure, actually. I'm granted. Um, I will say a lot of TikTok views come from just the teenage need for validation. So yeah. you get a lot of teenagers who just want to get the most amount of views because it's validating all their Hollywood children, mm. all their you know West Coast American children, and sort of they get paraded around by a lot of companies. And I mean, the famous ones are the like the West Hollywood like vaguely minority chick who's white enough so that white people don't think they're being played and they're minority enough so that minority people don't think they're being played. Um, and then she gets, she's 17 years old and she just walks around looking pretty and she just holds up makeup products and like goes to parties and things and shows up like this lifestyle that a lot of younger teenagers want to covet. And then she'll do a few dumb things and then she releases a dance video as a, an apology. That actually happened. I can't remember her name, but... Um, she basically sexually assaulted one of her male friends. Right. And everyone saw her do it. The guy was out drunk and she basically just made out with him while he was passed out, which is, you know, not exactly consensual. Yeah. Uh, and basically uh, she got destroyed on social media because of it, because of all the accusations. And so her PR team thought it would be an amazing idea to release an apology video, but they did it as interpretive dance. <laughs> Uh, yeah, see, like that's not a doesn't come across as overly genuine, does it? No, it's delusional. There's what it was, and then, like she's talking about how like she's uh, like humble, and then literally like it's professionally made video, like all these cuts to her like blinking, looking at the sky, and, like you know as she's talking over like a voiceover, and she's talking about how humble she is, and she has a push to start car. <laughs> it's like my favorite shot. Right. She's still. <laughs> it's like talking about all these like I'm just a seven, eighteen year old girl mistakes i'm young let me make mistakes and she just pushed the star car it's like right. you're not typical you aren't typical at all yeah right and you know you're not and you fail to present yourself as such yeah i mean it's like she's parlaying something that she did and into like even more attention well that's exactly it yeah because that's all tiktok really rewards is attention yeah yeah. I mean, sorry, raising awareness. TikTok, uh, you know, uh, you know, so you really likes people when they raise awareness. Right. Absolutely not seeking attention. Not at all. Mm. <laughs> I'm raising awareness for this issue. So you're seeking attention. Let's use the correct, <laughs> let's use the correct language. That's exactly what you're doing. I don't care if it's for a good cause. You're seeking attention for that good cause. Yeah. Yeah. You have to take. I mean, you change the name of the act. The act is still the same. Mm. So anyway. How do we get onto this topic? Um, yeah, I think it's just an unfortunate aspect of our culture now is that we're so absorbed in our own things that we do crave attention. Like, yeah, you know, if you're raised by parents who might not give you as much attention as you want, then that's going to be some fundamental thing that you're going to seek. Mm. And then, like... I've engaged a fair few people to hang out with me in person and mm. it's it's tough to make that happen. It's just an adult thing. Um, keep in mind, you're lucky lucky for you, I'm an artist and I have a lot of time on my hands. Mm. Like, um, I granted, I'm having less and less time as the years go on because I'm getting picked up luckily to do more and more stuff. Mm. But there'll eventually just come a time where I won't be able to have time. Like, it'll just be just adult. We won't hang out. Not on a regular basis like we do. Right. Yeah. It, it's just a life thing. It just happens. 
friends. Yeah. It's not it's not that like we're not friends or anything. It's just that my schedule was just will be jam-packed for three months. Mm. And it's like if I don't do any of this, I give up basically my living mm. in, in order to yeah, so it, as much it, as I would love to, I can't. It is it is a lifestyle that we I mean, yes and no. I mean, your your dad hangs out with his mate on a Sunday for like movie session. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that a pro- consistent Sunday thing. Yeah, it is. But keep in mind, both of them work nine to five jobs, Monday to Friday. Um, um, so you, you you're predicting in your future that you're going to have a hectic random schedule. I already have that, you know, because um, considering I do writing and I also write music, but I also do commissions, teaching, conducting, I do a lot of stuff. Right. And uh, turns out. We work through weekends. I work through public holidays. I work me at my job. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you know, no celebrations for me. I think the only day, there was a three month period from October, no, four months, October through the end of January, where I was working every single day. I didn't get a week, I didn't get a single weekend, I think, for about four months. Mm-hmm. That's how busy I was. Um, and when I do get a free day off, it's when it's usually like a Friday and I'm free for like four hours midday. Yeah. Because <laughs> my schedule is all over the place. Yeah. yeah it's just um but most of like with my dad and his friend it's like oh I'll work nine to five we're busy weekdays and then i get weekends off it's like i don't, right. get, I don't get yeah 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 i'm i'm starting to get a taste of the entrepreneurial lifestyle because mm-hmm. um i've been busy doing some handyman work yes yeah, so um, talking clients not just my parents but clients like in the community oh cool and then like Gaining capital, gaining money, mm. and also just like flexing your business muscles, it, it gets you excited for other things you can work on. And yeah. I'm actually kind of flat out enough to the point where I'm I can't I can't um, cultivate like other projects. I can't even like get on top of admin necessarily, um, just because mm. I'm worn out. So I'm thinking about bringing on employees already, and I've literally been operating my handyman business for like two weeks. Yeah, and that's pretty exciting because you think about like obviously the way to get rich is really passive income yeah i would say yeah and so if you manage to bring on workers who are doing the work for you and then you're getting a cut of well you're you know it's essentially you get paid by the customer Mm. take away the wage that you're handing out to the person you keep the rest i mean that's a bloody exciting prospect and it's very Mm. upscalable but even just orchestrating all of that and even just like feeling worn out from doing any work yourself i can understand how people would get that balance wrong like get burnt burnt out oh yeah so absolutely i hope to think that we'll carve out time <laughs> for each other moving forward oh yeah i mean it'll just be one of those things where we'll, we'll have to check the schedule for the week yeah and just and we'll feel very adult like as we do so <laughs> or like time, even just oh, i'll just uh, check my secretary <laughs> secretaries are they, yeah. are they null and void or are they no, with modern technology or um no not in all aspects because sometimes you just need a person there to answer calls uh, yes right like, uh, we haven't exactly got ai to that point although ai is coming along very quickly mm. um, as it stands. <laughs> i um i did this like meet and greet as part of this short film festival and um oh sure this guy I met who might be featured somewhat in my next short film. So oh, that was a good networking opportunity to meet like actors or like-minded filmmakers and stuff. Yeah. This guy, um, he struggles with the writing aspect of filmmaking. Sure. And 
he just fed like a premise into chat GBT and mm. it spat out something somewhat compelling. Yeah, so it's, it's interesting. That's, um, <laughs> that's, I, I, well, that's a, incredible. Yeah, it's a talking point actually in a lot of artistic industries at the moment. Like how much do we use chat GBT or just AI in general to yeah. make art? Is art made by AI actually art? There's actually quite a lot of back and forth on this topic. Um, I'm of the opinion that like, this is just the next step in automating processes that we do as humans. Like, mm. I mean, for God's sake, we've been automating metalworks since about, you know, the 1800s. And yet there are still accidents existing today. But and, they're super niche, wouldn't you say? Yeah, they're super niche. But keep, and, um, keep in mind, and this is a, I can't remember the guy's name. He's a very famous 2D animator from like the late 90s into the early 2000s. Like his stuff is just liquid on the page like it's just gorgeous to look at but right. it's 2d animation and it's sort of been completely outdone by 3d yeah entirely there isn't a lot of demand for hand-drawn 2d animation these days yeah but his sort of response to somebody asking him like you know why do you keep doing what you do he said as long as humans like doing it someone will just do it and it's yeah. the same thing it's like people ask well what are we going to do with art like are people going to write stories from scratch it's like yes they will like they're all going to just keep doing it Mm. Maybe not as often. Maybe there'll be more people who have a great idea, feed it into an AI, and it spits out a script. Or at this point, I think it spit out novellas at this point. Yeah. Um, fair enough. You know, go ahead, do that, and present it as your own work. Um, but some people will just prefer to build it piece by piece and from the ground up. And, yeah. you know, I don't think it's inherently better or inherently worse. It's just, you know, right. is what it is. Mm. And keep in mind, chat GPT, like all AI, sort of um, these neural network systems, is just copying patterns. That's all it is. I like to think of it as like a prodigy child, like a prodigy math child or a prodigy um, sort of child, where you sort of get them playing Flight of the Bumblebee or any sort of really fast piano piece. And people call them a genius and call them all these other things. So it's like, I don't see a lot of them actually continuing through the industry that they're brought up to, to excel in. Not a lot of them do. Mm. And it's not because of burnout. It's not because of that. It's just that pattern recognition only gets you so far, if right. that sort of makes sense. Yeah. Um, there's no drive to actually continue what you're doing. And sort of, you can pattern recognition all you want. There's something missing with your talent like that. Right. It's hard to explain. Mm. And I feel like ChatGPT and a lot of these AI programs are very much the same way. Um, but who knows, maybe we'll get them to the point where they will think and make mistakes like humans and make inferences like humans and it'll be un completely the same as if a human wrote it. So, who knows? Mm. Interesting conversation, nonetheless. Well, if we're going to get out into the stars and our biology isn't suited to it, mm. we talked about this before, getting our consciousness into some, some hardware that can last mm. is a possibility possibility so if we can get ai to replicate how our minds work mm. then that's essentially humanity living on it is because if a machine thinks exactly like a human is it not a human <laughs> that's yeah. sort of like a big question of ai right uh, what makes a human a human um, these are the things that just <laughs> melt the brain and like I just feel like until I'm really on top of my life to the point where like there's some enterprise where mm. it's viable for me to think about this. Um, it's just like a problem for a later date is like this mm. really hardcore, like 
future of humanity in a thousands of years yeah. like scope like i'm interested in that stuff mm. or even like space travel i'm in, i'm interested in that stuff from a distance at the moment but it's just hard to get fully engaged because like i've still got to figure out how i'm going to get a reliable source of income in the present you know well but credit to those people who are pouring energy into these sort of wild um ideas yeah of course but you speak from a general perspective and that's important because as you just said it's more about for a lot of people the problem that they wish people would focus on is how do i get a basic income and how do i live Mm. they're sort of the main things that people think about and is ai going to contribute to that we don't know we have no idea um is ai going to fix the economy probably not because humans are done (laughs) humans inflate the economy out of proportion Mm. um so yeah, I think it's an equally perspective to take. I'm mm. um, just going to pray that maybe someone will make a breakthrough. And, uh, and what exactly? Oh, getting off this planet. I think there's only one real goal for humanity, and it's to try and spread yeah. and survive. Right. I mean, I think at a basic human, I mean, God, I mean, our biologically fatalist, you want me to go here. Uh, <laughs> um, I think that if the most natural thing for humans to do is survive. That's like, um, but humans do a lot of unusual things because we're the only animal that can commit suicide, as in, like, because we're so aware of our own mortality, we can actually end it. Mm. Kind of thing. We're the only animal that ends their own life upon their own choosing. So, obviously, humans are kind of unnatural in the fact that we can supersede the one thing that is natural about our existence, and that's to survive and keep the human genome going. Mm. Um, I don't know where I was going with this, but hey, <laughs> I was heading somewhere. Mm. Um, our biological fatalism. Space. Space. Yeah, and so I think the natural thing for humans have to do next is to sort of get off the planet and keep spreading because we know we have finite resources. We know we have a limited amount of time here. Yeah. Um, I think it's probably well everyone's benefit to already think about how we're going to get off Earth, mm. how we could possibly use the moon to our advantage or Mars to our um, at the end of the day, the Earth has to be a resource for us to use, no matter what kind of sentimental value that we have attached to it. Mm-hmm. I think we should protect them as as much of it as possible. Um, they're very environmentally conservative in that regard, but uh, at the same time, it's why why do space travel? Because there's so many problems on Earth. <laughs> I mean, but that's I'm a... put a gun to my face. <laughs> I mean, but that's a valid concern too. It's a front- no. Ben, it's a frustrating one. I get it. And I don't know how much I... And I, it annoys me because it's also correct. Um, but at the same time, it's of like... Of course. I mean, it goes without saying it. And it's just like, you know, people into space travel, it's not like... It's like, fuck, they're not fuck earthers. Yeah, like, they're not saying, you know, fuck everybody who doesn't want to get off this planet. It's like, yeah, we yeah. get it. There are problems. We're nowhere close to getting off this planet in regards to space travel. We can focus on both at the same time. We're a clever species. We can do both. Yes. You know, we don't have to focus on one or the other. It's like fund SpaceX, fund NASA, fund all the space shit, also fund programs that help out people here. Because if we've all, half of us fuck off to Mars, half the people are still left on Earth and we've got to take care of them as well. Yeah, and also Earth is way better to live on than Mars. Yes. And will be for the foreseeable future. Yeah, but, you, but as we're saying, you have to be able to do both. We have to be able yeah. to multitask here. Luckily, there's over, there's over 8 billion of us now. We can multitask. Mm-hmm. 4 billion people focus on getting off the planet. 4 billion people focus on how to sustain it. Mm. Easy. Yeah. I solved the world. Thank you. <laughs>
How would you allocate? It's more exciting to do space, though. Can I do space? You can do. I'll do the Earth. You can do space. Okay. <laughs> Ironically, if we got half the people off the planet, the planet would be doing a lot better because <laughs> the population of Earth. But yeah. Yeah. Um, it's actually ironically it's well within the interest of people to get off the planet to then help the planet be better right but, you know no, that's a long way away mm. i think we should wrap our little pod up yeah i think we so, should. do you want to uh spruik anything uh, spruik yeah like promote uh no nothing really i'm more than happy to come on and chat about stuff mm. uh, maybe we i'd like to do like a Assuming that the quality, the technical quality of all this is great, um, like I'd like to do a pod, maybe in the aftermath of your book release, and like yeah, yeah we can talk about that. Insights into that, yeah, sure. I mean that's November, so we could do, we'll probably do one beforehand. Yeah, books come out in November, by the way. Uh, just yes, <laughs> thank you for What's plugging. It uh, it's called uh, Mawson Rakes uh, Middleman Service. The uh, mm. parallel sometime. <laughs> Yes. Yes. It's a long title, but you know, I'm a fan of long titles because it feels like the characters themselves came up with it. I right. think there's something very charming about that. Mm. Um, yeah, because I'm literally the title of that book comes from the characters. But so, is know, it meta in that sense? Like it's self. It, no, not really. Self-referencing. No, it's literally because the two main characters, three main characters, but the two of the main characters run a service called Mawson Rex Middleman Service. Right. And the parallel girl is a term that does come up in the book as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I'm calling it just something random, like Into Space Part One, because I'm too afraid of being characterable in my titles or anything like that. I don't know. I like long titles of books. Mm. Um, I think they're more fun than just Frozen. Okay. Like, what does that tell you? There's no character in that title at all. Yeah. As long as the title just covers what it is, I mm. think it's going to be effective. Yeah, and it tells you everything you need to know. It's a middleman service run by Mawson Rake, and there's two girls in there, apparently. Yeah, That's all you need to know about. It's like middleman service for what? Well, you do find out in the very first chapter exactly what they do. So um, I won't say anything about it, but they are, they are criminals. I'll give that much away. I'm just really excited to get an even further insight into your mind. Okay. And um, so... Well, I'll tell you what, if the book is, if the book does well, we'll have the podcast. If it doesn't, we burn this podcast. (laughs) How would that work? Um, Hit the delete button on YouTube. That's exactly This one? Yes, this one. No, we worked too hard for this one. Sorry. Well, here's what we're just like, uh, (laughs) just remove any reference to it like uh, soviet russia style <laughs> you just yeah you just have the style and photoshop effect and yeah. just remove it yeah. from the picture yeah all right all right well thanks for doing this for the fourth time and hopefully fourth time's the charm yeah and uh you'll be my cameraman for showing off the setup yeah did you want to show scott street oh i do yeah i do yeah yep nice thank you you, you can get a co-producer credit <laughs> Uh, yeah. Just bring it here so that we can both see it easily. Mm-hmm. Now the recording's going to be of our mugs going, oh, how does this work? Oh, until I share the screen. Yep. Share screen. Share sound. Yep. Just a lot of that. 
No, I haven't yet. Oh. Rude. Neglectful of me. I'll just take your seat. That's okay. I'll wander over here. Hopefully there's no thing. I don't want to dox myself. <laughs> well, happy to see your search history. Yeah. suppose like if there's any production issue like looks like crap while i'm loading while i'm loading this up i can edit it out because we're not live i'm wondering if i can figure out how to make it live all right soundcloud oh uh, 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 uh. Ba, ba, da, You're giving it away. Ba, 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 Yeah, whatever, man. All right, I'll just um get you to take your seat again. Sure. You're gonna rig yourself up. Mm -hmm. You want to pretend like we hard cut to this? Or... Um. No, nah, that's all good. All right, so just a little background. You made this. Yeah, so basically I made this seven years ago in my mm. first year of uni. Right. And I basically was tasked with making a song that used, so that used sounds recorded just from the environment. And I decided to record sounds around my house, which is in Scott Street. I have not doxed myself, I don't think. Mm. Um and so everything you hear in this song is stuff I recorded around my house from me hitting a PV, hitting a toilet roll, like a little bit of cardboard, from my cat meowing, who's the beige. You hear my dad in the beginning talking, and then you also hear um, some metal slamming, which is my heater, and just a lot of stuff around my house making various sounds. And How hard is that process? Like, is it easily replicable, or it really was a bit of toil? Um, no, very easily. Do more of it. Come on. Come on. I don't know. They can think what they want. There's a lot of issues with this piece, but it was a lot of fun to make because you just sort of go, well, it's going to sound kind of bad because I'm using sounds I haven't known because I had to use the stream recorder to do it. Mm. Um, so there's no real quality to the sounds. There's a lot of uh, recording issues, but also at the same time, when you know it's going to be of relatively low quality, like the actual sound quality, then you can step up with it. And that's what I did. What are the rights to start a difficult dance track? Well, I thought the sound quality was good, but. Well, all good. Here we go. Yay. Just the fact that you put this out indicates that, like, you've got the now support grade as you want not. And I don't know how you develop that. You just put something you do. Yeah, I just listened to a few video tracks in the box.
Um, I'm a little bit concerned, I think, because the sound coming out from the laptop will go into this this mic and then there might be some kind of audio issue. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a banging song. Thank you. Um, and, yeah, I'm always pressuring you to... Right. I should write and stuff like that. I do, I do out. But um, if you want to look up Dr. Foster on SoundCloud, I think you'll be the first one coming up. For different, we're still sharing the screen here. So different, I mean, pieces that you've written yeah. that get played by a whole orchestra. I mean, we spoke about this last time, but that must be an awesome feeling, right? Yeah, it's interesting having a bunch of people sitting in a room trying to replicate something you made. It's mm. like there's something very special about that, and I. I mean, obviously, more after the first few years of doing it, but certainly the first time it happens, you just start to actually when you're that happy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, a lot of these pieces I need to update or get rid of because I certainly haven't changed a lot of my style over the years. Right. But I'm hoping to release an actual EP at some point. I've got all the sounds I'm working with at the moment, but until then, we'll uh, see what happens. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll call this one. Thanks for watching, guys. Peace, love, and happiness. Really? What do you think about that? I like peace, love, and understanding. Oh, no happiness. Well, happiness is... But understanding is more important, so you, happiness is fourth or fifth. Well, happiness is just one emotion on a range of emotions that we feel there. It isn't the default. Default is feeling... So understanding. Where did you get that from? Came up with that yourself? No, it's a very, very old... It's like a... It's peace, a 90... love, and understanding. It's a 60s hippie thing. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, just have what it have that shit. Just have it. <laughs> Whatever it is for you guys. Yeah.